seats this morning because so many people are away on vacation, but guess what? We're thankful that the Lord has brought us here. He's got a message for our hearts this morning. He's going to encourage us through song and word and help us to be equipped to be Christian soldiers for him. Let's sing this beautiful song of the faith. Onward, Christian soldiers marching as to war with the cross of Jesus going on before. Christ the royal master leads against the foe. Forward into battle, see his banners go. Yes, onward Christian soldiers marching as to war with the cross of Jesus going on before. Let's sing it with all our hearts. Onward Christian soldiers marching as to war with the cross of Jesus
Are you ready to enlist in the army of God? Are you ready to join the triumph of Christians all through the ages who are willing to lay down their lives for the cause of Christ? It's a price that we have to pay as Christians. It's kind of easy in the United States. In many countries where there's persecution going on right this morning, Christians can't meet openly like this. And they're put under intense persecution. And the more Christians are persecuted, the more the church is put down, the more it grows. And souls get saved and multiply. We're going to see it in the passage that we have today. It is so encouraging. We welcome you this morning to our main service. We know our dear ones just left on their vacation, Adel, Sylvia, and Shelley, and also Bill and Jeff and Taylor, and Randy, Natalie, and Haley, and Jordan, and Parker, the whole group, they're all on vacation. Pray for them as they travel. Pray for all the vacationers that are away and those who are going away this week. May the Lord richly bless. So we may be few today, but God has a message for us, and we're going to continue on. At this time, we're going to ask our brother Rick Punzo to come and open in a word of prayer, and then we'll continue with the announcements and the meeting. Good morning. Let's bow and say a prayer to the Lord. Dear Lord Jesus, we want to thank you for this day, for the life that we have in you, Lord, for going to the cross, for raising again, Lord, and ascending into heaven, for giving us an eternal hope, Lord, and one day you'll take us home. We thank you for our church, Lord, and our church family here in the San Ramon Valley, and we do pray for our brothers and sisters, whether they're on vacation or on business trips, or those who are perhaps are sick and not feeling well, that you'd be with each person, Lord, and Heal those who are sick and protect those who are away and bring them back to us safely. And Lord, whether we have five people or 100 or 200 people, Lord, your message still needs to be spoken, Lord. And every Sunday we gather, Lord, and we hear from your word, Lord, and we want you to teach us your ways, Lord. And we ask today, this morning, that you would bless the message that you've put on Dean's heart, that you would use Dean for your glory, Lord, and bless him in his ministries, Lord. And, and whatever said, Lord, that we would just take one thing from this message, Lord, one thing, and apply it to our lives, Lord, so that we may be a blessing to each other, that we may be a light to this world, that we would show Christ to others, Lord. We also ask that you bless Gloria's hands as she plays the piano, Lord, and just bless this second service, Lord, and thank you for this time. And we love you and praise you in your most precious name. Amen. As I mentioned, Gloria is going to have a solo for us in just a moment or two, and it's going to be a beautiful solo, and then we'll have the message from the Word. But for a few announcements for this week, first of all, Monday night, joint prayer meeting at 7.30 for the whole church. Mike, will conduct, Mike Hyde will conduct the service, and we will have a beautiful time of prayer and the Word of God on Monday night. Wednesday night, we're going to have a Bible study, and Ada asked that we continue in Ephesians, so I said, okay, so we'll be bringing the message from Ephesians and studying it all together. So help me out. Uh, prepare this week in Ephesians chapter 4, and we will have a really good Bible study on Wednesday. There'll be no Thursday women's study, not only this week, but the following week as well as they're out of town. Friday, the groups will meet, and then next Sunday, we'll gather together again for the Word of God. We have a thank you note to read from the Cruz family. We know that Jean lost her father recently, and they are appreciative for the prayer and support. To our dear San Ramon Valley Bible Church family, losing a loved one is never easy, and I can attest to that. 
It gives us much comfort to know that our dad is with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in his new body, free from any pain and illness for eternity. Amen to that. And they go on to say, thanks for all your love and support. Thank you for comforting words, cards, phone calls, the beautiful flowers, and for those who were present at our dad's funeral service. Thank you most especially for your continued prayer for our family during this time of grief. God bless you all. All our love, the Cruz family and the, and the Selin Dong family also. So they're part of our family, and we thank God that we rejoice with each other. We pray with each other. We cry with each other because we're one family in Christ. Amen? Okay, at this time now, Gloria is going to play her piano solo, then we'll have the message from the Word.
Thank you, Gloria. That was a blessing. Thank God. Before we begin the message today, shall we just once again open in prayer? Father, we just thank you for Gloria. We thank you for the ability that you've given her to play the piano. We thank you that it's added to our music ministry so much. And we pray you'll continue to enrich her and bless her and Joe as she helps also and, and Randy and all the musical talent that you have given us, Lord. And we pray that you will speak to our hearts today through your word by your Holy Spirit. Please keep me in the background, Lord. Hide me behind the cross that the words that are spoken will be your words and empowered by the Holy Spirit as we've studied in the scripture memory class that for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. May you open us up today to your word, probe us, penetrate us, touch us, convict us, challenge us and encourage us to walk in your word. We just pray you'll lead us now by the Holy Spirit in Jesus' precious name. Amen. This world is full of evil. We witnessed it on Friday as a man went into a movie theater in Aurora, Colorado and began shooting. And the end result was 12 people were killed and many were wounded and are still in life-threatening conditions. They say many of them will be in permanent situations like that. We say, why did this happen? A lot of times people ask why God allows this evil and things to happen. Well, you know what? God gives each person in this world the free will to do what they want to do, to choose him or to reject him. Everyone has that choice. And even in the days of the New Testament, when the new church was born, there was evil rulers, evil people in power that sought to suppress the truth and sought to persecute the church and, and cause it to, to fade away and to be conquered. And they couldn't do it then and they can't do it now because God is in his church, he's in his people, and he empowers his work to go forward. The Bible has withstood the test of time for over 2,000 years, and even longer than that, going back to the Old Testament. And though the devil has tried on many occasions to annihilate the Jewish people, to wipe out any possibility of Messiah coming into this world, to destroy the church and from the gospel going forth, and he has been an abysmal failure. The devil has not succeeded at all. Though he has tried and he has done much a damage, he cannot conquer. Because the Bible says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And we sang it in one of the songs today where Jesus said that the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. This is his church. He told Peter, upon this rock, and he wasn't talking about Peter, upon this rock, Christ, you shall build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against my church. Do you know you're part of that church where all who are truly saved and know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior are part of the church no matter what language you speak, your race, your color, your background, you're one in Jesus Christ. We're one. And one day when we step through those gates of glory and we enter in and we're with all the saints above and we see our Lord for the first time, we're going to fall down and worship him and thank him that he was willing to come down to this world as God manifested in the flesh and die for us on the cross so that we can have eternal 
life and have a place in heaven, be forgiven of our sins. But as you look around and see all that man is doing, all that man is plotting and scheming and doing all of these things, you see the atheists that say that we have rights too, and they meet together and they say we're atheists and we believe in this. But they don't believe in God. They don't believe in Christ. They don't believe in God's love and forgiveness. But we thank God that God is a sovereign God. He can do whatever He chooses to do. He's sovereign. And what God does is He turns things around. He turns the events around in our world today. He turned it around in the days of the New Testament. He turns it around in our lives today. Man thinks he can do certain things, and God overrules and directs and shows that he is still in control. And I thank God that God's in control in my life. And he's in control of your life. And the circumstances and the things that happen in our life are not by random or chance. They don't just happen. God has a plan. He has a purpose for us. He knows what he's doing. Sometimes we say, Lord, I don't know what you're doing. I don't understand it. I don't always agree with it. I don't always think it's pleasant going through this. But God has a plan. And we're going to see it for the next two weeks. We're going to be looking at this subject of, of God's sovereign turn of events. And we're going to study together the book of Acts chapter 12. It's going to be our textbook for the next two weeks. And we're going to study it together. And the cast of characters here, just like you were looking at a, a play or something, the cast of characters, you have King Herod, you have the soldiers, you have Peter, you have the angel of the Lord, you have Rhoda the servant girl, you have the praying church, you have the people of Tyre and Sidon, and you have guest appearances by Saul and Barnabas. <laughs> I, thought, I had to add that in because at the very end of the chapter, you have those two people coming back into Jerusalem once again. But it's an exciting chapter. And Adel mentioned this last week, and I was sitting there, and I was thinking, that's what the Lord has put on my heart is that subject. And I talked to him after. He says, go for it. Yeah, do it. He said, you could do it in two weeks. I said, yeah, there's a lot in this chapter. And we're going to look at five things over the course of this Sunday and next Sunday about this passage. First of all, the death of the Apostle James. Secondly, the deliverance of Peter from the imprisonment and impending death. Third, the delight of the church and how God answered their prayers and delivered Peter. Fourth, the destruction of evil Herod. And number five, the direction of the church to grow and multiply and see more souls saved and the church to go forward. Onward, Christian soldiers, marching as to war with the cross of Jesus going on before. It's inspiring and may it encourage our hearts today. Let's read a few verses here from this chapter 12, Acts chapter 12. Let's read it together because the word of God is powerful like we were saying today. Just the word read itself could be enough. You wouldn't even need a sermon because the word itself speaks for itself. And we're going to read these verses together. Let's read this chapter. Acts chapter 12, beginning at verse 1. And try to put yourself in, in the context. Imagine if you were one of the early Christians and you were living in Jerusalem and you were witnessing all these events that were happening. Think about how you would feel, how you would be acting during this time. 
Acts chapter 12, verse 1 says, Now about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some of the church. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now it was during the days of the unleavened bread. And when he had arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him intending to bring him before the people after Passover. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. And Adel was talking about that last week on prayer. And when Herod was about to bring him out, that night Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison, and he struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly! And his chains fell off his hands. Then the angel said to him, Gird yourself and tie on your sandals. And so he did. And he said to him, Put on your garment and follow me. So he went out and followed him and did not know that what was done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they were past the first place, and second guard post, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them in its own accord. And they went out and went down one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. And when Peter had come to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. So when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, there's a knock. <clears throat> a girl named Rhoda came to answer. And when she recognized Peter's voice, because of her gladness, she did not open the gate, but ran and announced that Peter stood before the gate. But they said to her, you're beside yourself. In other words, you're crazy. Yet she kept insisting that it was so, so they said, it is his angel. Now Peter continued knocking. You can imagine, he let me in, guys. I've been released from prison. Let me in. We're going to talk about that part next week, but... They were, it says, now continue, he continued knocking and they opened the door and they saw him and they were astonished. But motioning with, to them with his hand to keep silent, he declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, go tell these things to James, that's the other James, the brother of our Lord, and to the brethren. And he departed and went to another place. Then as soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers about what had become of Peter. But when Peter had, excuse me, when Herod had searched for him and not found him, he examined the guards and commanded that they should be put to death. And he went down from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. Now Herod had been very angry with the people of Sire, Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord. And having made Blastus the king's personal aid their friend, they asked for peace because their country was supplied by food by the king's country. So on a set day, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat on his throne and gave an oration to them. And the people kept shouting, the voice of a God and not a man. Then, immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him and he, because he did not give glory to God and he was eaten by worms and died. But 
the word of the Lord grew and multiplied, and Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem where they had fulfilled their ministry, and they also took with them John, whose surname was Mark. May the Lord encourage us in the reading of his word today. You know, it was about the time in chapter 11 that Paul and Barnabas had just left Jerusalem, just at that time. They had left Jerusalem. They had met with the Christians there, the elders and the servants of God, and now they had gone off to Tarshish because Saul wanted to, uh, Barnabas wanted to meet up with Saul of Tarshish and then go out and do the work of the Lord, which they did. And about that time is when things started to get really hot and really a, a time of persecution broke out again in Jerusalem. We know that Stephen was the first martyr of the Christian faith and they stoned him to death. And Saul, who later became known as Paul, was there holding the clothes of the ones who were stoning him. And Paul got saved, and now he is a servant of Christ. But we see that persecution arose there against the church because the devil didn't like it. He didn't like it that souls were being saved. He didn't like it that the church was growing. He didn't like it that believers were being strengthened. He didn't like it one bit whatsoever and so when the devil does that, he comes against us. He opposes us. He persecutes us. It's true today. It may not be the same kind of persecution, but we get persecution. We get laughed at at work maybe or in our neighborhoods or people look down on us or they, they talk about us as being evangelicals, right-wingers or whatever they want to call us, conservatives. They call us all kinds of things, but... Let them call us anything they want because we're children of God. We're saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. We're part of his church and his family, and we do stand for Christ. And it does take a, a stand today. We have to stand for him in this world today because there's a lot of opposition. And King Herod in his day was evil. He was nasty. He wanted to persecute the church. It says he harassed them. The New King James is really good there because it says he harassed them. He persecuted them. He mistreated them. That's what he did. And the more he did it, the more the Jews liked it because they were against Christ and they were against the church and they liked it. And so the more he did it, he got emboldened to do more in evil. And you look at this man, Herod. Herod is not a name of a person. Herod is a, more of a title. It's part of a family, all one wicked, evil family. There were actually six, five, five different men that were known as Herod in the New Testament. One is called Herod the Great. He started it all. He was the one who killed all the little babies around Bethlehem when Jesus was born to wipe out any chance that the Messiah would come. Did he make it? Did he succeed? No, he killed a lot of babies. Horrible. Horrible, wicked, evil man. He was called Herod the Great. But the Lord Jesus survived, and he continued, and the church survived and grew. No matter what man did, God turns the events for his glory. And then the next Herod came along, and they're all part of one family. And this Herod wasn't too nice to his own people. One day he killed over 3,000 Jewish people at one time. He was an evil man also, and he was known as Herod Archelaus. And then the next Herod that came along was Herod Antipas, and he was the one who ordered John the Baptist to be murdered, to be killed, to cut off his head. Because we know the story, the young girl Salome danced before him, and then he said, you can have whatever you want up to half of my kingdom, and he 
she went and talked to her mother, Herodias, who was in an illicit relationship with the king. And so then she comes back and she says, I want John the Baptist's head on a platter. And it says the king was sad, but he went ahead and he did it and he had him executed and brought the head back on a platter to the girl and she took it to her mother. Wicked, evil, sinful people. And yet God overrules and turns it around in a sovereign way. The fourth Herod is called Herod II, of Herod Philip II. Guess what? Now, this is really interesting. I love these stories, the rest of the story. This man was actually one of the good Herods. The only decent one in this whole family was this, this man, Herod Philip II. And interestingly enough, it says that he married Salome, the daughter of Herodias. He married her and actually became a beloved ruler of the people of the, of the day. It's interesting how these all fit together in God's word. And then the next Herod that comes along is the one in our chapter today. And he is known as Herod Agrippa. And we know how evil he is. We, can, we read it and we're going to see it more next week and, and, how, and how evil he is and the things that he did to try to destroy the church. And then the final one, the fifth one, is is his son and his Herod Agrippa II, and he was the one that Paul appeared before and gave his defense, and he is the one we read about as King Agrippa. He was a Herod too, so they're all Herods. But for the most part, wicked, wicked. And you know, you hear that expression in life all the time, like father, like son. And it shouldn't surprise us if a father is ungodly, doesn't want to go to church, doesn't want to read the Bible, doesn't want to follow Christ, that the son is going to follow in that direction also. And consequently, if you're a godly father and you're raising your children for Christ and you're being an example to them and you're following the word of God and, and you're coming to church and serving the Lord, that the kids are going to follow that too. But each person has a choice. To receive Christ because sometimes the father is good and the, and the son is bad and sometimes the son is bad and the father is good. It, it, each person has to make their own choice. You have to make a decision. It's not going to be you're going to heaven because your mother was saved or your father was saved or your grandmother was saved. No, you're going to heaven because you choose to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you're born again and that's why you're going to heaven. You're not going on the coattails of anybody else. Because you're born in a Christian family, you're not going to get there. Because you're born in a Christian country, you're not going to get there. You have to yourself make that choice of receiving the Savior. And when you do, you have eternal life. We don't know the names of these people in verse 1 that Herod reached out his hand to and harassed and persecuted. He may have put them into prison, maybe even killed some. It doesn't tell it. He harassed them. He did all of this destruction. And then when he thought that wasn't enough, he went out and he says, how can I destroy the church? What's the best way to do it? How do you destroy an organization? How do you destroy a team, a company, whatever it is? You go to the top. You go to the leader. You go to the head one. And so he says, I'm going to kill James. Go get me James. And he sent his soldiers out and they knew where they, James was and they brought him in and they killed him. It says, Herod killed him with a sword. And I know it probably wasn't Herod that did the killing himself, because in Scripture, when it says like this, a ruler did something, he had somebody do it for him. He had them do his dirty work for them. But he went out, and he had James killed with the sword. Oh, the people in Jerusalem were excited. Great, we killed James. 
And he says, there's another one out there I want to get to. What's his name? Peter. Peter's another pillar of the church. He's another leader. He preached and 3,000 people got saved on the day of Pentecost. He continued preaching and the numbers swelled to 5,000. We're going after Peter next. And he went after Peter and he arrested him and he put him into prison. But he said, you know, we can't kill him now because Passover is here and the days of the unleavened bread and it wouldn't look good. It wouldn't be good for publicity. It'll go bad in the Jerusalem news. We don't want to do it now. Let's wait till after Passover and it'll work out fine. Put Peter in prison. But guess what? I'm going to assign 16 soldiers to guard Peter. You're going to put 16 soldiers to guard this man, one Christian man named Peter, unarmed, unable to escape, and you're going to have 16 soldiers guarding him. It says there were four squadrons. Each squadron had four times four, 16. And at any given time, there were four guarding Peter. So they rotated the shifts. They had the first shift, second shift, third shift. They were guarding Peter. Two guarded him, and they were chained to him. And the other two were outside the prison cell guarding. So, you know, there's no way to get in that prison to get him out, to get him to escape. There's no way to get out of that prison. He is stuck. He is under a death sentence. And yet, the church is praying. They're having a prayer meeting and they're praying for Peter. But Peter is in a very, very difficult situation because he's in this prison. A maximum security prison. There's no hope and there's no help for Peter. He's hopeless and he's helpless. He's bound by these chains. He's in that dark dungeon that is smelling so horrible and just a horrible place to be. And yet, God is in control. God is not taken by surprise in this whole situation. He is able to control the circumstances in the situation. But you look at the Old Testament and you look at the New Testament and you look at all the evil people that tried to destroy God's people. It started with Pharaoh. Remember how he wanted to destroy all the little baby boys so that the Jews would only have girls and the whole race would be destroyed? Messiah couldn't come. Satan was behind that. God thwarted that. He killed Pharaoh and all his army in the Red Sea and that plan came to nothing. Haman sought to destroy all the Jews also. He hated Mordecai so much, he wanted to kill Mordecai and all his people, and he built this gallows that he's going to hang Mordecai right there in his own backyard. In Haman's backyard, the gallows are set up. He says, I'm going to hang him on that. He won't bow down to me. He won't serve me. I'm going to kill him and all the Jewish people. And guess what? The Lord, in a turn of events, turned it around, and now, instead of Haman killing Mordecai on the gallows, they came and they took Haman and hanged him on that same gallows. God turns the events. God overrules. God is sovereign. He's under control, and he can thwart the plans of men. God is in control. Man cannot do it, and it's quite an amazing thing. And maybe Peter was thinking, Think about it. Use your sanctified imagination what Peter may be thinking. Maybe one of the verses that he may have been thinking about is Psalm 35, verse 17, where David expressed these words. Lord, how long will you look on? Rescue me from their destructions, my precious life from the lions. Maybe he was thinking of that verse, but he says, here I am, guarded by all these soldiers, no way out, they're planning to kill me, and I know if it was me... I'd be sweating, I would be 
upset, I would be nervous, I would be bothered, I wouldn't be able to do anything, I would just be so upset. But you know what? Guess what Peter was doing? He was sleeping. You say, that makes no sense. Does it? Does that make any sense? You're chained to two soldiers. You know the next day Herod's going to come get you out of the prison. They're going to cut off your head or, or crucify you or whatever they're going to do to you like they did to James. They killed him with the sword. And yet Peter went to sleep. He had such peace in his life in knowing the Lord Jesus Christ and that Christ had everything under control. He went to sleep. That is amazing to me. And God's word is so encouraging. Doesn't it remind you of, of Paul and Silas when they were in the prison cell in Philippi and how they sang praises to God and the, and the earthquake came and the jailer was saved and his whole family and Paul was delivered from that. But it's clear. It's beautiful. And I know Mike loves these verses. We all love these verses. We had them in the scripture memory class. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. I know that Peter wouldn't have had them yet because Paul wrote them and they weren't part of the scriptures yet, but the word of God says this, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let the, your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Think about it. Four soldiers, right? I'd like to think of these four soldiers as Anxiety, worry, fear, and discouragement. Peter was bound to two of them, and then two of them were outside the cell. And as Christians, we have time in our life that we go through that. We experience worry. We experience anxiety. We experience fear comes upon us. We experience sometimes discouragement. We get down. But we can't get too far down. Because we get encouraged by God's word. We get encouraged when we fellowship with the saints. We get encouraged to know that God has everything under control and that we're going to be with him someday forever and ever in heaven. And so it really is an encouragement. But there was those four guards there. And in verse 6, it says, And when Herod was just about to bring him out, the 11th hour, just about time. It's probably in the wee hours of the morning. Maybe think of it one or two in the morning. Peter sleeping away just like a baby, just in comfort and rest and peace, just sleeping away. And, and, and then God is going to show, he's going to show his power. He's going to show he can deliver. He's going to show that he is going to overrule what man can do. And that is such a blessing. You know, Peter was a good sleeper. If you look back on his history in the New Testament, you find him sleeping at the Mount of Transfiguration. Now, they joked with me one time when we went to the Star Wars movie, and I was really tired and sleepy, and I fell asleep, and they were having this big scene of all this movie, and they say, Dean, how could you fall asleep under this exciting thing? Well, I'm like my brother Peter, because Peter was on the Mount of Transfiguration. The Lord was transfigured before that, and Moses was there, and Elijah was there. And what was Peter doing? He was sound asleep. He was a good sleeper also in the Garden of Gethsemane because when the Lord was there praying in agony and everything, it says Peter and the other disciples, they fell asleep. And so it's amazing. They're, he's a, not only a good sleeper, but we see he's a very restful sleeper too. He, it's hard to wake him up. And the angel had to, had to do that. It's quite amazing to me. 
Psalm 4 in verse 8 says, I will both lie down in peace and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me to dwell in safety. And I thought about it. Maybe he was thinking back to the words that the Lord Jesus had spoken to him in John chapter 21 and verse 8, because Peter had been told these things by the Lord Jesus Christ about how he was going to live to be an older old man. And it says in John 21 verse 8, it says, Most assuredly I say to you, and he's speaking to Peter, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. J. Vernon McGee, you mentioned him this morning, Ken, and different brothers. This is maybe what he thought. He says, I'm not an old man yet. My time to go home to heaven's not yet. Herod's not going to kill me. I don't know how God's going to work it out. I don't know how he's going to deliver me. But I know that this is not yet the time. So I might as well get a good night's sleep because I'm going to see what God's going to do tomorrow. And sometimes that's the best way. I know we've all gone through things. We're all sometimes we get insomnia. Sometimes we can't fall asleep. We're so worried and bothered about things. We just have to give it to the Lord. And then he gives us a restful and peaceful night's sleep. I thank God for that. Only the Lord can do that. And maybe he was thinking about that song. I love that song. We used to sing it on Wednesday nights. You are my hiding place. You always fill my heart with songs of deliverance. Whenever I am afraid, I will trust in you. You know, Corey Tinboom wrote that book, The Hiding Place, and she was in some of the worst prisons there in Auschwitz and in Poland and the Germans, and they were executing people, but the Lord spared her through. Many died, she was spared through it, and she wrote a book about her story, and it was called The Hiding Place. The Lord is our hiding place. We can run to him when we're hurting. We can run to him when we're fearful. We can run to him when things are going really bad, and he'll be with us, and he will turn things around. And even though the circumstances may not get any better at the time, he gives us the peace to get through it. He gives us his encouraging word to get us through everything that we go through. And so we see in the first point this morning, the death of James, and we see now the deliverance of Peter in verses 7 to 11. According to scripture here, it tells us that an angel was sent to deliver Peter. Sixteen soldiers, one angel. That's about the right priority, because one angel can destroy a whole army of men. One angel is so powerful and so strong. In their little finger, they have so much power. And in scripture, angels were messengers, they were, they were ministers, they were servants, they were helpers of God's people. Sometimes even today in our world, if you're out somewhere and there's nobody to help you, God can send his angel in a human form and he can help you. And then you look around, where's that person? Gone. God can send an angel. Angels can help us. But here in this situation, the Lord sent his angels. And I can just imagine the conversation between the Lord and the angel. He probably said to him, okay, I'm going to send you down, uh, angel, to, um, let's say his name is Daniel. Daniel the angel. We're going to send you down, Daniel, and you're going to have an important mission. You're going to go down to that prison, and you're going to get Peter out. And, and you know, he's sleeping right now, so you're going to have to wake him up. Okay, Lord, I can do that. I can handle that. No, you don't understand. Peter's a very sound sleeper. He, he's a very sound sleeper. I know. I've seen it. Okay, Lord, what do you want me to do? Well, go down and just kind of prick him in his side. Okay, Lord, do it until he wakes up. 
And you can imagine Peter just sleeping there, chained and everything, and all of a sudden the angel comes. What, what? Peter, arise. Get going quickly. And he, Peter didn't realize that this was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision or a dream. He didn't realize it. He says, okay, I'm with you. J. Vernon McGee thought, you know, the Lord had to tell him those specific directions what to do to put his shoes on, his sandals on, because J. Vernon McGee says if he hadn't have done it, he'd have gone out without his shoes because he didn't think this was real. He thought he was in a dream. I don't need shoes. I'm in a dream. I'm Do it. But he says, he says, I'm going to send you down there. And he says, arise quickly. And it says his chains fell off. This is no dream, Peter. This is no dream. His chains fell off. And then he walked a little bit further, and they went past the guards. And I believe that the guards were either sound asleep in the deepest sleep they've ever had, or they were just completely paralyzed and they couldn't move. Remember when Jesus rose from the dead, the guards couldn't stop it. And later on they came and they said, they told him, tell the people that you fell asleep. These guards, they don't fall asleep. They're on guard duty. They know by the power of death over them that they're not going to. But God put them in such a predicament, these guards couldn't do a thing about it. They were helpless. And then they walked a little further, and they walked to the gate, and the gate opened by itself. And they didn't have any infrared technology like we have. They, you know, you go to a grocery store, and you just put your foot on that mat, and the door just opens for you like that. Well, this happened to Peter in the day when they didn't have all this technology. God has every technology. He has every power. He has everything we need in our life. And so Peter came up to that gate, and the gate opens, and he says, I'm with you, angel. We're going. And then he leads him down the street about a block away from the prison, and then all of a sudden the angel disappeared. And Peter looks around, and he looks, and he sees his sandals on his feet, his coat on. He's dressed and ready. And he realizes spiritually of what God has just done, that he has delivered him from the prison. And he, it says so, so beautifully in this verse 11. And when Peter had come to himself, he says, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. What a miracle. It's a miracle he did. Peter recognized it. When we're walking close to the Lord, we recognize God's working in our lives. We recognize what he's doing. We understand what he has in mind for us. But when we're not walking close to him, we're not going to have a clue. We're going to be like Peter thinking we're in a dream. But when we're walking close to the Lord, we're going to be in tune with what the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives. We won't always understand everything, but God has a plan. He's working in our life. He doesn't have AM, he doesn't have FM. God has his own radio network, his own communication system, his own working, and it's so beautiful. And you ask yourself, okay, Dina, I got you. I understand this. James was killed with a sword, right? Right. Peter was delivered from the prison, right? Right. They're both Christians, right? Yes, they're both leaders of the church. Right, they're both needed in the church. Right, they're both godly men. Right, but why? Was James killed with the sword? Peter was not. God is sovereign. He knows what he is doing. He knows that the church needed to see an answer to prayer. They needed to see Peter delivered. They knew that Peter needed to do more work for the Lord before it was his time to go. Every one of the apostles, all of them, were martyred. Everyone, including Peter, John, all of them were because of their faith in Christ. 
And they were eyewitnesses of the Lord Jesus. They had seen it all. They had seen him die. They had seen him rise from the dead. And they spread the news. And they were not afraid to die. Even Paul says, why do you weep and break my heart? I'm not only willing to be bound in Jerusalem, but I'm also willing to die for the sake of the Lord Jesus. Why would those Christians love the Lord so much that they would be willing to die? Because he's God, because he's real, because he loved them. He died for them, and they were willing to do whatever God asked them to do. God doesn't always visibly and physically deliver us from our trials. Sometimes we have to go through them, but he'll be right there with us. Just as when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in that fiery furnace that Louis was talking about on Wednesday night, even then there was a fourth person, likened unto the Son of God, and that was the Lord Jesus in his pre-incarnate form. He was with them there. Even when Daniel was in that lion's den, the Lord was there with him, delivering him. God doesn't always deliver, but sometimes he does. Other times he gives the grace to get through it. I love what Oswald Chambers, the great Christian writer, who himself died at a very young age of 43 years old, said this. He says, faith for my deliverance is not faith in God. He said, faith means whether I am visibly delivered or not, I will stick to my belief that God is love. There are some things only learned in a fiery furnace. So God doesn't always deliver, but we're committed to stand for Christ, to believe in him, to live for him, whether he delivers us or not. It was so cool when they were bringing those three, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, not Nicodemus, but Nebuchadnezzar brought them all out, and they said, okay, you got one more chance to bow down before the golden image. They wouldn't do it, and he got really angry, and he said, turn up the furnace seven times hotter than ever to do it. And they said, O king, even we are not going to bow down to you, and even if you kill us, we're not going to do it, because we believe in God. We believe in the Lord, and we are not going to take part in your idolatrous worship. We are going to stand. You can kill us if you want to. And Peter was like that. James was like that. They were all like that. They love the Lord. They say, Lord, if you deliver us, fine. Praise God. But if you don't, praise God, we'll be with you today. We'll be with you for forever in heaven. And there was Peter in this chapter, so marvelously delivered. I mean, it, the chapter starts off with Herod just as evil and wicked as can be, harassing the church, and it ends up at the end of the chapter turned around completely. I mean, we've already seen it now. Peter is delivered from his prison. He was sleeping, he was in peace, and the angel came and delivered him from that prison. And Peter experienced the miracle and the goodness of God and the grace of God in such a beautiful way, and we can thank God. Does the Lord care about Peter? Does he care about us? Does he care about what we're going through this morning? And I don't know what you're going through today. I don't know what kind of heartaches you may be feeling, what kind of pressure you're going through, what kind of trials, what kind of pain, what kind of sorrow unspoken request. I mean, when somebody offers up an unspoken request, it's so personal, it's so deep, it's so emotional that they can't share it out. God knows the unspoken request we have too. And he cares about us. He loves us and he's going to take us through it. And whether he delivers us from what we're going through or he's with us through it and gives us victory through it, it's going to be his sovereign will for us and he's going to give us the grace to handle it. And I thank God for God's sovereign turn of events. 
He can just turn it around in such a magnificent way. And we say, Lord, it was going so bad this way, and all of a sudden you turned it around. You turned it around for us in our lives. We can thank God for that. And if you're here today and you don't know the Lord Jesus as your Savior, you've never accepted him into your life, you need to come to that place where you accept him as your Lord and Savior. You need to believe that he died for you on the cross. He paid for your sins. He died for all the things you did. And that he rose again. And he, all he asked you to do, all he asked me to do is accept him. Say, Lord Jesus, I accept you into my heart. I believe that you died for me. I accept you. I turn away from my sins. I repent of my sins. I want to join Peter. I want to join all the Christians, even with persecution, even with difficult times. It's better to know the Lord and be with him in heaven forever than to experience all the things that life has to offer. Which, take, take it all, add it all together. Have all the riches, all the money, all the power of the world. Have it all and put that on one side of the scale? No, it's not going to. The side of the scale that's always still the best in heaven is the side of Christ. It always is because he's with us. Shall we just look to the Lord in prayer and thank him for all that he's done? Father, we just thank you that we've been saved by the grace of God. We don't deserve it, Lord, but we're so thankful. We thank you for our forefathers. We thank you for Peter and James and John and all the apostles and all the believers that spread the gospel against all kinds of persecution. Satan tried to destroy the church and, and tried to destroy the gospel, and he couldn't do it then and he can't do it today. We thank you, Lord, that we're on the winning side. We're on the triumphant side. And even when things are bleak and things are bad for us and things are going rough, we can trust you, Lord, that you have a plan for our lives. You know what's best, and you're going to get us through, and you're going to give us the victory. And whether you deliver us or not, we're going to stand for you and love you all the days of our lives. And we just now thank you and commit this time to you. In Jesus' precious name, amen.